Justin, one of the pastors and elders here at Peninsula Grace. It's a privilege and a joy to be able to open the Word of God together today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We've been walking through uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at the first half of, of chapter 3. Words will be on the screen in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, but would love for you to follow along in the Bible in, in your laps uh, before you. Uh, so let's talk about today a little bit about storytelling. Uh, thinking about in your brain, what was, what was your favorite story? Is one of your favorite stories uh, of all time? Um, you know, and what makes that a great story? Well, what makes you love that story? Uh, what makes a good storyteller? I think one of, the, one of the keys is an author who makes you care about the characters. A lot of times I found like a bad story, a, 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 one that doesn't draw me in. I don't really care if the characters die or not. Is that cold? Is that, is that too harsh of me? Um, but, but with a good story, then they reel you in. And now you care. You care about these characters deeply. My British brothers from another mother's, uh, Tolkien and Lewis, some of the best in the business, they, they get you to care. They get you to care about the, the characters of Frodo and Sam and Gandalf and Gimli and, and Lucy, right? We named our daughter after Lucy, right? That's how much we love the story of Narnia, right? Uh, we thought about Aslan. It just didn't make as much sense. And so uh, but we reap a cheap. My, my wife's favorite, Puddle Glum, tells you a lot about my wife. Uh, but they get you to care about these characters. And then that's because, and then at times, when, when, this, when it looks like all hope is lost, when it looks like the doom of that beloved character is, is certain, it gets us to care. When Aslan is dying on the stone table, when Frodo and Sam are on Mount Doom with lava surrounding them with no hope, Right? But then we see what the, the author does. He masterfully weaves the story together, the depths of Mount Doom. And Frodo and Sam are saved by these eagles. At the last moment, all of Middle Earth is saved, and the hobbits rejoice. Right? It's fun to read these stories. And we're along for the ride. Right? There's moments of confusion. You don't see how the plot's all going to work together. There's times of frustration. There's times of fear. But ultimately, there's a delight in the mystery of the story being revealed. And we're going to see this morning in Ephesians 3 that God, he is the master storyteller. He's the one that created the brains of Lewis and Tolkien. And he likewise is weaving together a story. And at times in our lives, there's confusion. At times, there's frustration. At times, there's fear and doubt. But at the end of it all, we can delight in the mastery of the mystery that God shows us and we can delight in. I don't know if you've ever, if you make a habit of interrupting yourself, or you'll, you'll, you'll think something and you derail yourself with your own thoughts, or you interrupt yourself talking to somebody. My mother-in-law does this all the time. I'm going to tread lightly here. Okay. Father, he was trying to pray. He interrupted himself. Isn't that often happen when you pray? You get distracted. Lord Jesus, would you squirrel? Right? And you get totally off track. It happens to inspired authors as well. Um, why does Paul interrupt himself? I, I think well, he realizes what he just said. I'm a prisoner. I'm prisoner for your sake. And he realizes that how that could come across. Or they go, Paul, wait a second. You just opened your letter. You spent two chapters talking about victory in Jesus, how we've been raised with Christ, seated at the right hand of Christ, that we rule and reign with him forever and ever, but you're now in prison? Like, that doesn't jive. What's going on here? How can Jesus be on the throne if his followers are suffering? This doesn't look like Jesus has conquered much of anything, right? And they could, might sow some, that might sow some seeds of doubt in their head about Paul. Maybe Paul's not chosen after all. 
Maybe he's off the track of what God intended him, or maybe Jesus isn't really on the throne. Maybe God's not really in charge of this thing after all. If one of his central characters is suffering the way that Paul is, even better than Lewis and Tolkien is weaving all of these things to tell a story. And he has a plan. He has a plan. And it might be mysterious to us right now. It might be confusing and frustrating and anxiety-inducing at times. But we can know that God has a plan. We can know that that is a good plan that we can trust. And we know that every detail of that plan in the end will be accomplished. Amen? Whether it's in our lives personally or on a global scale, God is at work. And the central point I see from Ephesians 3 that we want to draw out this morning from the text is that the master storyteller is revealing his mysterious purposes in Jesus through us. He's doing a beautiful thing. He's going to do that for three reasons in the text. Number one, for the good of others. Number two, for his own glory. And number three, for our own courage. So let's dive into Ephesians 3 together. The first thing we see here is that it's for the good of others. Verse 1, he said, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, that opens up his self-interruption. And I love this little detail here where he says, A prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing this letter from house arrest in Rome, but he wants to make sure that his audience knows, I'm not ultimately a prisoner of the Roman Empire. I'm not ultimately a prisoner of my Jewish countrymen who threw me under the bus to falsely accuse me and get me in prison in the first place. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. That I'm not in chains off of the watch of Christ, my King. Previously, Saul, Paul was known as Saul, if you've read his story in Acts. Now, he was named after the first king of Israel, right? One of the most uh, famous people in Israel's story. Paul was a somebody. Paul was, ra- he was trained under the Rabbi Gamaliel, uh, which was like the Harvard of the rabbinical schools at the time. He was destined to become this super Jew, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a, a, a rabbi of rabbis, as he talks about in his, uh, his re- resume in Philippians chapter 3. He was like the Joel Osteen of Israel, if you could imagine that. Start to, start to lie about him and, and send him in prison under a pagan ruler to who everyone's demanding his death. And we know from history, he actually does die. This does not look like a pathway to success from the world's point of view. Now, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you say, I've decided to follow Jesus. And it seems like Instead of things getting better, they've only gotten harder for me. They've only gotten worse. I'm still dealing with the same sicknesses, the same brokenness, the same sin issues, the same family issues. Maybe since you've followed Jesus, you've, you've, had, you've, you've changed your work courses to kind of dial into eternal perspectives and you're making less money. Maybe you're getting more pushback from family and coworkers. That's, that's only going to increase in the current climate that we're living in. And you go, wait a second, God, is this your calling on my life? We can look to Paul's perspective here for help, if that's you this morning. Verse 2, he says, so here's his, the beginning of his interruption. Assuming, you've heard, right, about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. Now, what does that phrase mean? Well, the word administration here uh, it, it meant, it is, a, is a caring for something that belongs to another, a steward. So he was caring for something that God gave him. What's he caring for? What's he taking care of? What's the gospel? He says in verse 7, I'm a servant of his gospel, the good news of, of Jesus. 
that God gave him this gift to take care of, to proclaim. That once Paul was destined to be a ruler of many, but what he finds himself now is, is serving many. And, and I love these last two words here in the phrase, administration of God's grace that he gave me for you. He says, I'm a servant, I'm a prisoner, but it's not, this is not for my sake, this is for your sake. I think these words are echoed by a man, uh, his name was Martin Burnham. He was a New Tribes missionary uh, who was killed back in, the, in the, the Philippines in 2002. He and his wife had served as prisoners amongst a terrorist group um, who, who, for 376 days, a little over a year, Martin served as a prisoner. His, his wife, sweetheart, the Bible says, let's serve the Lord with gladness. So let's go all the way. Let's serve him all the way with gladness. Can you imagine serving the Lord with gladness in that scenario. And they did. In fact, the captors would argue over who would chain him up at night because when they would chain him for the night, he would thank his captors that were chaining him up. He saw these as opportunities, and he would patiently explain the gospel of freedom to the men who would not give him his own. He saw himself as a servant for their sake. God's got me here for a reason. Now, what was that thing that Paul had given, uh, that God had given Paul to take care of? What was he a steward of? He unpacks this in verse 3, moving forward. He says, the mystery, there's a mystery. It was not known. It was made known to me by revelation. God showed me this. As I have briefly written above, he alluded to this back in chapter 1, but he's going to unpack this more here. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this is a, mis- a mystery concerning Jesus. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this mystery that, that has now been made known to Paul to share was not in previous generations made known. But there were his mouthpieces, God's mouthpieces, the apostles and prophets that were to proclaim this mystery. And what is it? He tells us in verse 6. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, the mystery has been given to me to share with the world is that, that God's gift of rescue is not just for the Jews, but actually through a, a particular Jew, Jesus himself, this, this is now made available for all the nations, for the Gentiles as well. We unpacked that last week. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon. We talked about that at length. But through Paul here, he says, God has revealed to me a mystery that was hidden for millennia, for thousands of years. Do I need to serve even if they're not treating me well? Like I have not been treated as poorly as Martin and Gloria nor Paul. But the people in my life, do I see them as a potential co-heir with Christ, a family member? What about you? Who's that person that's a struggle for you to see that way? Let's remember that the stories of these people are not yet fully written, just like ours. So we are called to be servants of prisoners of Jesus and to serve the people around us, regardless of how they treat us for their good. And Paul wants to expand this to a cosmic level in his second reason of, of, of God giving him this glorious mystery. The second thing we see is for the, it's for the glory of God. Not just for the good of others, but for the glory of, of God. Look at verse 7. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Notice he says here that he is the least of all the saints. Now, you might say, okay, is that like 
Paul being falsely humble. Like, sure, Paul, you came out of, you know, a rough way. You were that whole, like, trying to extinguish Christianity thing. Doesn't look good on the resume, right? You're a bad guy. But to say that you're still, like, to still refer to yourself as the least of all saints, is that a little over the top? I mean, you're an apostle now. You've been sent by God. You're one of his missionaries. You're a scholar, right? You've been suffering for Jesus. You're writing the Bible, like, there are lots of people who have done, are far worse than you, right? I've never written Bible, right? So how are you the least of all the saints? But Paul understands that's a worldly perspective. See, from God's point of view, which is always the, the right one, he brings nothing on his own to the table. Paul has, in his, of his own accord, never done anything good. He, he can and will never do anything that can, that can be seen as righteous apart from Christ. The only deposits he's ever made on his own, in his own strength, into the, his capital shifts in, in our lives is, as Jesus followers, is to see that in every dimension of our lives, we are recipients of unconditional grace. That I don't deserve a single good thing that comes my way. And this is why one who's truly captivated by the riches of God's grace is, is free is, is free to, to boast about even, even when we sin, we, can, we, we are not ashamed to repent or confess because I'm not here to lift up my own name. In fact, I can rejoice that in my sin, I've found a Savior who is rescuing me from that sin. All the glory to Him. This isn't about making me look good. It's about making Christ look good. Now Paul wants to zoom out and he, and he looks at God's cosmic purpose. In, in Christ. And look at, look at what he says in verse 9. And, and to shed, this is part of Paul's job, to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities, where? In the heavens. He says what God's doing through us is being used to make known what he's up to across the heavens, to the spiritual realm, the angels. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, part of my job is to make the glory of God's grace known to all creation here on earth, but also in heaven. See, only God is all-knowing. Only God is the one who knew the, the end of the story from the beginning. And so the spirit realm, just like us here on earth, have been peeking over the clouds going, no way, like how is God going to do this? How is the master storyteller going to pull this off? How is he going to create one new group of people? And in this church, how is he going to unify this group of people that can't even agree over the color of the carpet, who have divided themselves into a thousand denominations? How is he going to get this group to... It's been easy. You know, my hips were falling apart by the time I got into my late teens, early 20s. About 14 years after I had graduated, I still had no full-time vocation to show for it. I had, nine, I had nine years of college and two degrees, and I didn't have a job, so that was fun, right? I was 34 and single in Soldatna. <laughs> Hello. And as a pastor, walking through some of the hardest, darkest valleys with people through divorce, through suicide, through cancer. In the last couple of years, you look at the division caused over COVID and political chaos. 
And man, it's easy at times to go, God, how are you getting Aslan off this table? Like, how are you getting Frodo and Sam off of Mount Doom? And I don't know if you've been there. Maybe you're even there right now. And you're going, God, how can I trust you to bring a happy ending out of this? How can I be anything but discouraged in the midst of this circumstance? God, you seem to be messing up all of my plans. This is not a part of my timetable. I so find so much encouragement here as Paul lands the plane in this section. Verse 12, in Christ, in him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him, connected to God now. And therefore, in light of all these things, he says, so then, I ask you, church at Ephesus that I'm writing to, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. He says, don't lose heart. Don't, don't run and hide. Like, don't be scared. And, and, and why? He says, the things that on the surface, the things that have happened to me that look like something you should be ashamed of, something that you should be discouraged over, he's like, these are actually things that you can glory in, that you can praise God for. And, and how is that possible? Well, let's, let's step back out and say, why is Paul in prison in the first place? This is so cool what God's doing with a, a Gentile believer uh, from Ephesus. Now, who's he writing this letter to? The people of Ephesus. So this is one of them, very likely, who's reading this letter. And they had assumed, he, he was there with Trophimus, which, by the way, makes a really cool name. If you ever, this kid was destined to be like a Little League all-star, right? Um, they, they accuse him of, of hanging out with Trophimus and bringing him in to, to, the, to the temple. Now, here's what's interesting. The, the very thing that he's in prison for is what? He's accused of bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together in a place where they should not be together. And he says, what looks like my shame is actually the very thing that I am announcing to the angels, that God has brought Jew and Gentile together in a place where they have no business being together, and not just in some physical building, but in the very presence of God. Like, this is what I'm doing. What looks like my shame is actually the glory of God. He says, don't be discouraged. The, the things that I'm suffering for are actually being used by God to help the Jew and the Gentile and the angels see the grace of God in one body of Christ. See, Paul sees his sufferings from a heavenly perspective. From an earthly perspective, it would have been easy for him to go, man, being in prison stinks, right? And it would. That would be awful. His life's in danger. We know it will ultimately physically kill him. It's really putting a hamper on his plans, right? He was a missionary. He was traveling. He's like, this is not part of my 10-year vision plan of being in prison. And man, he's doing major damage to his reputation. Paul talks about in other letters, people are really pushing away from Paul. As he's suffering, as he's being maligned, as he's being imprisoned, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not associated with that loser. This is messing up his plans and certainly looks like failure. From heaven's perspective... God is using Paul's suffering to bring people together in Christ for his own glory. One way that God did that, is using that, is what we're doing. He a world full of rebellious sinners. And how did he do that? He uses one super jacked up guy, Abraham. 
and he uses one super jacked up nation, Israel, through Abraham for this rescue mission. And what do we see from Israel over and over again? Failure, right? Exiled into Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, wandering in exile. And they actually, in this process, come under Gentile attack. It's the Egyptian Gentile nation that they're enslaved with in Egypt. Right? They're at war with coming out of the wilderness that they're back in exile with, with Babylon and Assyria. It's the Jew and the Gentile at literal war with each other all over the pages of the Old Testament. But then what happens? A hero comes onto the scene in the form of a little baby that we're about to celebrate next month, Jesus himself. The rescuer's here. Like, it's a happy ending, right? But what happens? What happens? The Jew and the Gentile, they come together, but for the wrong purpose. The Jew and Gentile are united in the killing of the one who came to be a rescuer. But in the ultimate plot twist, God uses the death of this hero to rescue the very Jews and Gentiles who had killed him and to bring them together as one family, as the body of Christ to the Father forever and ever. That's a story. That is the master storyteller weaving all things for good. And Paul says, Jesus did this to rescue me, the least of all the saints. And like Jesus, he says, my suffering is being used for the good of others and the glory of God. Remember back in in Narnia, what happened with Edmund when he betrays uh, Aslan and it leads to Aslan's death, right? Uh, As he betrays his his brothers and sisters and, and he's redeemed. Edmund is actually through the very death of Aslan We see Edmund who is forgiven and all of Narnia being redeemed through this act. And we see Saul, the same thing. Saul was one who was persecuting followers of Jesus, but he's redeemed. had all these chaotic threads on the back. It just looked like a a hot mess. And, And as she'd hold up this cloth, she would read this poem to them. She would say, "My My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. No thing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. You have a copy of that in your sermon notes. And then she'd turn the cloth over and she would show what looked like messy chaos on the backside was actually forming on the other side. And there's this beautiful crown. And of course, you see the analogy that our lives at times look like nothing but a chaotic mess from our point of view. But Paul says we can find courage in seeing with the eyes of faith from the perspective of the one who sees the beginning from the end, sees where we really sit right now, which is at the right hand of the Father with Christ. And I've seen God use the messy threads in my own life of addiction, of of heartbreak, I've seen him use physical pain in my life, and not just for my own comfort and encouragement, but also to encourage and comfort others as they go through similar paths. 
I've seen him be a rescuer, a healer, a unifier in and through my life. You know, I sat down and talked with the guy a couple, couple weeks ago. I coached him in basketball. I remember, man, he was a knuckle. Friend's life. We don't know how God is using all of these things to weave together for the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus. I want to finish with this, this verse, these last two verses. I want to look at the New Living Translation. and um, Man, I want to be able to say these things and mean them. I don't know if you're like me. There's times when I know the right thing to say or to want or to think, but my heart's not there yet. So one thing I like to practice is, is speaking these words and trusting that God will catch my heart up with these truths. So if you'd stand with me, it's how I want us to close. Go ahead and stand up. And maybe, maybe you're ready to declare these things with every fiber of your being. Maybe you're like, I'm not quite there yet. This isn't totally the way I'm living. But let's declare these by, by the grace to trust him more, by faith that we trust that God would catch our hearts up with our words. We'll read these together, and then we'll be done. Read these with me. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Father God, I'll be honest, I don't totally mean these words yet, but I want to, and I'm moving that direction. That wherever you call me to go, whatever you call me to do, whatever shame might come of it to be born for your name's sake, whatever you're asking me to give up in the process, money, comfort, approval from others, relationship, time, 